on Halftime, the world game with Carlos Alberto Diego from Fortiegos.com. Oh, a happy, smiling Carlos Alberto Diego is in the studio because the Socceroos had a win. Yes, they did have a win, huh? Uh, half. There you <laughs> go. I balked in half. Well, I was actually really, really tired, I've got to say. We've, uh, we stayed up really late last night to watch that game, plus all the other good TV stuff that's uh, around football this whole week, well, which we'll I talk spent, about later, yeah. I spent the, uh, last night, I didn't stay up to watch the game, but I spent last night catching up on Australian Story. Yeah. I watched the That Night special from Foxtel from the night before. Um, that was good. Absolutely. I want to spend some time talking about those Australian stories that are told yep. across those documentaries. But last night, when it was all about just getting in there, doing the job and going home. Yep. Uh, and then, you know, you could have been really unhappy with that second half. We didn't score a goal in the second half against, you know, 10th-rate opposition. They were as bad as any international side I've seen. Uh, but we got the four goals in the first half. Ange totally understood that these guys, uh, what they what they had to go through to even play the game, yeah. uh, what their families had to go through just even for them, you know, to allow, uh, you know, their sons or daughters or, or, or husbands to go to these games uh, and, and play, uh, and and just to play that and get out of the place. Uh, Ange did talk about how highly unusual the build up was, uh, and that uh, everyone had to really remain focused. So they did the job, got out. Um, and I don't think I don't look. Australian teams over the, over the decades have had to go to you know far flung places that in many cases were you know dangerous places to go. You even talked well, the to, cricketers wouldn't go there. Yeah, well, they, the cricketers were a little bit different because people are saying saying the cricketers didn't want to go and the footballers went. Well, the footballers had to, had one game and they could manage it oh, yeah, in and true. out. Uh, the cricketers had to stay there for a period of time. Yeah, that's so that's a, they're much more of a target, to be fair, to the cricketers. But uh, but Australians from the 60s had to go. I mean, we still had, we had a Socceroos side in the 60s with Johnny Warren. He often talked about uh, going to Vietnam. Yes. And, uh, you know, before the game, though, they had, a, you know, mind sweepers, you know. Uh, couldn't go, I hear shots in the background? Yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, Australian football soccer teams have had to go to these areas uh, over the decades, and uh, but last night was, I suppose, so close to what happened in uh, France on Friday, uh, and yeah. the randomness of that, and the soft targets that were that that the terrorist uh, the terrorists, uh, you know, uh, attacked in in France. You just don't know, even with all the security, what could happen. And uh, and I, you know, after yesterday's chat, when you mentioned that Alan Davidson was quite emotional here on yep. Monday, I had a chat to him myself, and he goes, "It just hit him that uh, that his son was going into that area, and no football game, in no career could ever, ever, you know, uh, you know, be more important than in the the safety of uh, of his son." Well, it was interesting just speaking to Brad Hodge before uh, about what he's got coming up. He said, "Oh, and I'm going to Bangladesh." Oh, hang on, no, no yeah. I, I don't think I will be. Um, mm. So it's still it's yeah. it's still very very touchy, uh, and I would imagine if you're four nil up at half time, the, please fast forward the second half for me so I can get the hell out of here. Yeah, would it, it, they, they literally played that way, and uh, and it, it didn't it really didn't matter. It, it, there was no urgency. I don't think uh, the way Ange spoke after the game, there was no. Uh, you know, he certainly didn't come down hard on the players about their second half. He did mention that they've got a lot of work to do still. There's two games to go. Uh, and, but, you know, with Jordan also losing it. I was going to uh, say, do I see where Jordan lost? Yeah, they lost 1-0 uh, to Kyrgyzstan last night, which, you know, again, puts everything in, in better in better light for us. Yep. Uh, but we've got two games to go. We've got uh, Tajikistan first uh, in, in Australia, and then we've got Jordan. So two home games. Uh, we should be able to do the job on them. Timmy Cale. 
Mm. Another hat trick. It's his second international hat trick. Yeah, think. it's interesting. Uh, when he first started playing for Australia t- over what eleven years ago, he scored a hat trick against Fiji. It might have actually been his first game for, for Australia in, a, in an Oceania sort of qualifier. And uh, and really, eleven years on, he scored another three last night. And you know, it, it's people talk about the fact he's uh, thirty six now. If he does go all the way to Russia, and uh, sorry, if we go all the way to Russia, he's still in the squad. He'll be thirty eight, going on to thirty nine. Uh, but the effect, so? <laughs> yeah, that's right. But the effect he has not only as a player right now, but the the effect he has on players around him. I mean, he was talking about last night him being ruthless in front of goals. I mean, this, this is a guy who, uh, who should be sort of there as a mentor to players. He's actually leading the line. And he's, he's talking about the fact that uh, he's waiting for the younger guys to step up. He's just there to help right now. That's his attitude. And maybe because he's releasing all that pressure from him, he's actually playing some of the best football he's played for Australia. So he was fantastic last night. Uh, 45 goals in 88 appearances. You'd think that 50 Jeez. goals and 100 appearances just around the corner. It's not, it's not that far away uh, with all the games that they play these days. Uh, you play enough of these oppositions. and You might end up getting the... Um, I think he's got six goals in four games so, so far in these qualifiers. So in the remaining two qualifiers... You'd think uh, playing in Australia, he might be a chance to get those five goals. Who knows? And uh, his his goal celebration is one of the <laughs> it's one of the best in in any form of sport. Yeah, uh, the, the uh, what the boxing of the uh, oh, I love of it. the uh, corner is, flag. Yeah, he is the boxing kangaroo of yeah. the corner flag. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah, I, I, I sort of when you when I'm just watching him play and how he just immerses himself in the game and nothing sort of phases him. He, he could be playing on the park and playing the same way. You know, a, a park in, in in the suburbs and playing the same way. And uh, whenever I see him play these days, it just there used to be big arguments over who was the best ever Socceroo and who's, ever, who's been the best ever player. And technically, you know, you've got the likes of Ocon, Viduka, Zalic, Harry Kuehl, some great, great players over mm-hmm. the generations. Uh, but more important Socceroo, or, or a player who's scored the most effective Socceroo, uh, the player the who scored... identifiable yeah, Socceroo. Well, right now, because uh, and that's not... That's not the fault of people in the 70s and 80s no, and no, the 90s. True. It's just with social media these days and, and all the marketing, you know, he's, he's well-placed for that. But as far as a, a person who, uh, under the definition of greatest Socceroo because of what he did in games and not just his image and his brand and what he did for his club side, but what he's done for the Socceroos, he's clearly, for me, the greatest ever Socceroo because he's been the most effective. Some of the goals, I mean, even when we went to... Uh, when we went to um, Germany for the 2006 World Cup, in that first game, when we were looking down the barrel and he came on as a sub and he scored those two goals. I mean, that was just a start. The goal against Holland, these are just things that are coming to my head, right? Yep. The goal against Holland, uh, it didn't win us the game, but, geez, it, it, the whole world took notice of the Australian side when he scored that goal in, in the Brazil World Cup. Uh, you know, in the Asian Cup, those important goals he scored at times uh, when, we, when we needed it and the leadership he showed. And, and he's never really been a guy that's been controversial in the squad. He's not been happy at times being taken off, but he's, he's always put the team ahead of himself. So you don't get a lot of the controversy that, that may have come from other players. So I, I, I think he's the greatest ever Socceroo. And, and it'll be, uh, it's him and Daylight, I believe, with the rest, only because of what he's done for the Socceroos. Harry Kuehl, great, one of our greatest ever players. Yep. And those other ones I mentioned, great, great, great players. But a lot of them did it for their clubs, and not so much for the Socceroos, okay. in a sustained way over a period of time. 
Uh, and he's not going to play A-League. I think he's pretty publicly said that that isn't going to be part That's going to be the one thing probably when you look back at his career and go, it's a real pity he didn't play in the yeah, A-League at uh, some look, stage. You know, if you, if you really keep close on Tim Cale, it, it's an incorporation now. Yeah. It's, it's a, sorry, it's a, it's a corporation. Yep. And so he he's just made a decision a long time ago that every move he makes is a business decision. And he did say a couple of months back that, uh, well, he won't play A-League because no one's approached him from the A-League. But everyone knows at the A-League that he, you know, you've got to stump up five or six or seven million dollars a year to do that. I mean, that's two times what they played Del Piero. Yep. Uh, now, if he does come at 40, you know, it, it, I mean, he, he hasn't ruled it out completely. But if he does come at 40, you don't want him to come and play in a competition when he's not the Tim Cale that we know. Yep. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what he does. I don't think he's completely ruled it out, but for now he has because he's re-signed with uh, Shanghai Shenhua over there in, in China for another year, I think, or maybe two years. Uh, and uh, and then, uh, I, yeah, for me, I don't know what he'll do after after football if he's not playing football, so I think he'll be involved in some way. Um, anyone else stand out in the game to you that, that played well for the Socceroos? Uh, uh, look, not that he stood out, but it, it just shows that Ange, I think, is, uh, you know, uh, given debuts to something like 14 or 15 players during this qualifying series. And Josh Risden from Perth Glory was thrown in last night. And uh, look, the competition was really ordinary. So, you know, you can't really judge anyone, even if they did play well last night. But it was good to see another player got his opportunity. Um, uh, Meredith also, at left fullback, was uh, uh, maintained his spot from the first uh, game against Kyrgyzstan in Canberra. So, you know, he looked okay. But look... I don't want to make any judgment of any player, really, because I was so, so, so poor. We'll take a break. Come back. Plenty more to talk about uh, the world game with Carlos Alberto Diego here on Halftime on 11.16 SEN. 22 past one here on 11.16 SEN talking the world game with Carlos Alberto Diego. And Carlos on the line from Port Melbourne to have a chat. G'day, Carlo. G'day, boys. How are you? Good, thank Good, you. Mate. Carlos, do you remember what about that one in uh, Major League Soccer? Didn't he score a goal in under 10 seconds? Jimmy Cahill? Yeah, look, uh, he, he actually achieved a lot over there too. I think every league he's played in, he's actually, even if he started off qu- quietly like he did in China in, in his last stint in China, uh, he tends to win people over. And uh, and I think there was I think there was that case, Carl. I can't remember who against or whatever, but I remember reading that story. And he just he just devotes himself completely to whatever club he plays for. And that's why I think everyone loves him. Yep. Gone you, Carlo. Thanks for your call. You can uh, grab a couple of tickets to go on Thursday night and watch Melbourne Victory take on the Central Coast Mariners. Now, we mentioned those couple of uh, docos and the uh, the Australian story and the, and the yeah. uh, that night that was on. Uh, watched them both last night. Thoroughly enjoyed them. Yeah, yeah. I loved Ange's story. Uh, there's a lot about Ange I didn't know that I, that I found out in that story. Well, of course, on Monday they, they had the uh, Australian story with Ange. It was basically his story, his coaching story and, and the ups and downs he had to go through. And, of course... Uh, on Monday night also, they had the uh, November the 16th, which is just a 10-year anniversary of us qualifying for the 2006 World Cup. Yep. And uh, last night, they had the Frank Lowy, uh, the, the failed bid, you know, the well, failed uh, World well. Cup bid, which was really interesting, I thought. Yep. Uh, what I, if, I, if I can go back to the, the November the 16th, yes. Doco, yep. what I absolutely loved about that was, you know, since that time over the last 10 years, 
some of those players uh, have been a little bit offside with the Australian public. Uh, you know, example, Lucas Neal, for example. He's fallen off the face of the earth. Uh, he was booed in one of the games. Uh, he, had, you know, uh, he had a crack at one of the, uh, a, a section of the crowd in one of his last internationals. Yeah, uh, you know, he was in press conferences and the perception was he was actually blaming the young players for the... You know, it, he just, he's left us and, and really... No one knows what he's doing, but he's left us with the impression that he was arrogant, maybe disrespectful to the younger players around him, and looking for excuses left, right and centre for his poor performances. But when you look back at that, and by the way, and another one would be Mark Swartzer. At times he's come out and said things to, to get people offside. But what I liked about that documentary was it went back to, it stripped it right back to what the players, what it meant to them. Uh, that it was they were doing it for the country, uh, it was their dream come true. Uh, they they had it was so emotional for them. It really got back. You know, all these guys are millionaires and they've got everything and they've got every opportunity in the world now. And yep. uh, but that what that doco did was actually get back to what it was all about, uh, trying to achieve history, um, pursuing that dream and reaching that dream, and doing it with their mates and doing it for the country. Yep. And that doco, that, that message came out so, so strong through there. And that's why it was so emotional. I mean, even listening to someone like a Tony Vidmar, who's not up there with the Harry, Vid, uh, Harry Kules or Timmy Kales or the Vadukas of this world. But Tony Vidmar, in the previous World Cup uh, qualifiers, uh, basically told the coaching staff he was going to resign, uh, retire after the Uruguay game where they got beaten 3-0 in the previous thing and, and thought he would never, ever, ever play for Australia again. In fact, towards the end of the game in Montevideo, he was crying because uh, he knew this was his last game. He'd almost convinced himself of that. But, you know, he was convinced to go on and suddenly he decided to take a penalty, the third penalty, when uh, Mark Bresciano was supposed to be taking it, but he was off the ground at the time. And he'd never taken a penalty in his life. And uh, uh, the, the way he describes what his brother Aurelio must have been thinking to himself in the stands as he was you know, walking up to take the penalty and what his friends and family who love him as a bloke and love him as a player, but know that he's never taken a penalty. <laughs> Listening to him talk about that was absolutely hilarious, but it was actually really, um, really deep and emotional too. So it was just a beautiful, beautiful portrayal of that team. Unfortunately, you know, we get different perceptions about these players now uh, yeah. because of what they've said in the media, how they've behaved at different times. But that was pure, pure and raw, and that's what I loved about it. And the thing about that night was that I'd, I must admit I'd forgotten was how good um, Schwarzer was yeah. in stopping those two penalties. Yeah. We all remember the yep. Aloisi penalty, yep. but the two he stopped, yeah. you go, particularly the second one, yeah. Um, uh, you go, wow, yeah. how come when he's not in, on a shrine somewhere like Aloisi yeah. is for what he did? And even things like, even things like um, you know, Swartz recounts a story talking about the fact that Hiddink used to play a lot of mind games with the players, and especially with the goalkeepers. We saw that actually in Germany where, you know, after the Japan game, he dumped Swartz and brought Kalats in. All right, not after the, after the Brazil game, for the game against Croatia. And, um, and, the fact that he was, you know, during that game against Uruguay, uh, they were approaching extra time or towards the end of the extra time and, uh, and the penalties were coming up and he saw out of the court in his eye, Kalats warming up. 
it was so obvious to him, and he thought he's thinking while he's in goals, he's thinking surely he's not going to sub me. Surely, he's gonna... <laughs> I mean, this is these the stories behind the story. Yeah, is were just fantastic, and I just loved it. Yeah, I did too. Uh, Tedson Keeler with a question. Go ahead, Ted. Yeah, hi, Carlos. Just a quick question. Just with all these games being abandoned last night around Europe, do you think there's any safety concerns for tomorrow night's match? Should worry about. Uh, the tomorrow's on what the You're Melbourne victory here. game? Yeah. Well, look, uh, you know the the problem we've got at the moment, Ted, is that there were such soft targets in France, and it was so random. And uh, you know, so, you know, and they they talk about you know ISIS, but you know who's who's going alone? Who's you know who's who? Which groups are just thinking I'm going to go? How do you ever? How could you ever ever? Um, you know, uh, police everything I, I don't know it's just it would just be really really difficult but we can't not go to the football we cannot uh and we can't is, let them win we yeah. can't let them take away our life and, and that's the thing the the important thing is we we see what the french what the french team did last night they played england uh they lost 2-0 they didn't want to be there yeah but they turned up because if they didn't turn up they they, they felt the state the statement would be that uh, they're giving into the terrorists yep. and, and i think uh I think anywhere where, unfortunately, for for a time now, we've got to be prepared that anywhere where there's big crowds, especially around football, we sort of start. If it can happen at Stade de France or outside the Stade de France, it can happen anywhere. But I'd like to think that Australian, uh, the Australian uh, police and uh, and the security, uh, uh, you know, are well prepared for that sort of stuff. Uh, and hopefully, nothing does happen. Has it made you think twice, Ted, about going tomorrow night? Oh well, I usually take the kids, but it, it has a little bit. But because it, they, oh, I just keep saying that Australia is a target, and all mm. that, you just sort of have to sort of think about it and just sort of worry a little bit. But I, I mean, it's not going to stop me going. But I just thought, I know, is it going to be a, you know, any issue? Do you think around it? But... Uh, Ted, I, I think especially now, now's the time to go because I think the, with such a high, uh, you know, alert. level of alert. Yeah. That, uh, that you'll probably get more security now than what you might in six months' time if things are quiet. So I think if you're going to go anywhere around the world, if you're going to go to any football game, it's worth going now because I think uh, you'll get more of a, more protection right now than what you would maybe down the track. Good on you, Ted. Make sure you get there, mate. Uh, I must admit, I did find this funny too off the SMS. Someone said the best part of the doco was when you discovered that Hiddick had booked out all the Chilean air <laughs> business class seats so as the Uruguayans had to fly uh, economy. I know. It's hysterical. Yeah, but I mean, this is what I actually learned from the doco was, you know, we always talk about the glorious failures before that. You know, we, yep. we put up a great, you know, a great game against Argentina or a great couple of games against them and Scotland and all those. But what he brought to the table was all the little things, all the little things that, that the Australians were either too naive or we didn't know about, all this, being streetwise about it and booking out those flights. He knew with a four-day turnaround from the first leg to the game uh, in, in Sydney uh, that it, you know, flying back and, and accommodation was going to be an issue. And so we had our own chartered flight. So... Okay, how how are the Uruguayans going to get back, uh, get get to Australia in a in a, any sort of fit state to play a game? And so he made it as difficult as possible. And I think at least half the team had to go in economy, yep. and that's not a short flight from Uruguay. And I think they probably had to stop over at different places. And uh, Montero pulled a hamstring during the game, and a lot of people attribute from Uruguay attribute the hamstring to the fact that the way they had to travel. So. 
is um, street cunning. There's no doubt about that. Mm. Uh, 29 to 2. We'll take a break. More with Carlos Alberto Diego. Coming up here on 1116 SEN. 25 to 2 here on 1116 SEN. Happy to take your calls at any time with Carlos Alberto Diego. 9429-1116. Or your text thoughts on uh, 0433-98-1116. The, um, and I spoke to Lee Sales yesterday who put this doco together on uh, on the ABC that went to air last night um, called Played, Inside Our Failed Bid for the World Cup. The $43 million uh, failed bid for the yep. World Cup. What one did, vote. What did you... <laughs> one vote. Mm. Oh. Um, it, it was, It was. I thought, really well done. Yep. It was bloody hard to watch at times. Mm. Watching them in the in the hotel room the night before and Frank Lowy sitting there going, we've got Russia, we've yep. got this one, we've got five votes guaranteed. Mm. And they had no idea that behind the scenes... There were votes being bought by people and given military arms and yep. all sorts of, uh, you know, uh, natural gas contracts and all sorts of things that were being yeah. pallied up and we're giving people, you know, boxing kangaroos and stuff. Yeah, yeah. It, look, it's been something that I've tried to be as open-minded as possible about uh, because obviously $43 million, one vote, deeply hu- deep humiliation, oh, deep yeah. embarrassment. Um, there's a lot of people who either have been associated with Frank Lowy and fallen out with him who have been you know, real critics of of the bid and uh, whether it was all above board and, and whether there was any sort of bribery going on and some of the uh, consultants that they hired or, you know, people with dodgy pasts and so forth, all that sort of stuff. Oh, very dodgy yeah, pasts. But the thing Drug is... charges and all sorts yeah, of things. And, and, uh, so that's always a cloud over this whole thing. Yep. But no one's brought any hard evidence. And I've always felt... And again, I could be wrong because I, I don't have the inside knowledge here, but I've always felt that we were just absolutely naive through the whole process. I agree. Uh, when, when, we first, when it was first announced years ago, uh, you know, I was on half and we were talking about what needed to happen for us. I mean, the discussion on Talkback at the time was, can we hold a World Cup? And I said, it actually has got nothing to do with whether we can hold a World Cup or not. It, it, and it doesn't matter about the bid book, as we found out last night, the $11 million bid book. It didn't matter about that. It didn't matter about the proposal. What mattered was Frank Lowy's relationships with the people who were voting. Uh, the boat, you know, the Frank Lowy boat yep. played a big part. The, the parties, the, the whole games. thing, yep. all that stuff. And he was convinced on the basis of relationships that he had the votes. Well, he, the, the, one of the great quotes in the whole thing is um, Lee Sales asked him about his relationship with, with Sepp Blatter, and he said, I had no reason not to trust them. Yeah. And the same with uh, Bin Haman. Yep. Exactly the same. He had no reason that he could see that he'd been shown yep. um, not to trust them. And the same with the two um, consultants they employed yep. who, who were recommended by those two blokes yep. as people who would be able yep. to get, get us votes. Yep. And he knew, he knew as a bloke who'd been in and around FIFA for a while through Australian football, he knew that the whole proposal and the whole uh, you know bidding process and the, and the and the bid book and all that and the video that was just all secondary. In fact, it was just it was just superfluous to the to what it was all about. Yep. It was all about who you can get to, who you can promise things to that are that are above board, you know, it's a fine line, but who can you promise things to, who you can do favours for, and the relationships he had with people. And he was convinced on the basis of that, because that's how FIFA, as as it's been yep. proven, operates. Uh Basically, that that and he was convinced he had the, those numbers because of those relationships, and, and he the, didn't have them in the end. And the other thing that I think everyone was convinced about uh, when you watch that uh, that whole thing is that 
Qatar was not a serious contender. There was no reason in the world to think that they would even be that they would even get a vote. Well, they was, didn't have it, a stadium. Yeah. They had they had nothing. Well, it was interesting too, Kev. Uh, I remember going to a uh, an Asian Football Confederation uh, like awards night in in KL. This was back probably I don't know uh, I don't know the it was probably two years before the 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 bid announcement. Yep. And I remember walking into the foyer of this you know ma- magic magical hotel. I mean they just, it was just really really you know posh. Yeah. <laughs> the, 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 the amount of money that was spent on the awards and I was amazing. But people flew in from everywhere and I was just there as as a media guy. And I walked into the foyer and there was one um, one marquee, and it was the Qatar. 2022 marquee. Obviously, they were pitching to everyone that came. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I went up to the guy, and no one was talking to him at all. Oh, he's just one guy. I'm thinking, geez, you know, they, uh, no, one's, no one's interested in this bit at all because they're not taking it very seriously. I went up <laughs> to the guy because I felt sorry for him. I said, said oh, look, you're, you're here. You know, tell us all about this. And he started talking. He had nice brochures and stuff. And then, he, uh, then I said, why isn't there any other marquees here from the other bidding organisation? He goes, oh, we bought out, we bought out the event. And I said, what do you mean you bought out the event? He goes, well, we paid money to make sure that we were, were the only brand for the bid that, that was, uh, was uh, given exposure that, yeah. during that time. And all they literally had was a marquee with brochures, but they bought out the whole event. So even from those early stages, I got a sense that they were going to throw everything at this. Yep. Uh, and if they were the only, they had exclusive rights to branding their bid, and you'd think that they were during that week I was there uh, behind closed doors, probably working very, very hard on people about what they would give in return for their vote. FIFA land, they describe it as one uh, its own little kingdom with its own little king, and that's exactly what was just played out in that doco. That just was it was galling to watch sometimes. Yeah, yeah. and look, I, I just got a sense that. Out of all this, the fallout for Frank Lowy, a proud bloke who's been a very, very uh, successful businessman, was he was deeply embarrassed and humiliated. Yep. It's something he probably won't ever get over. Uh, it, it sort of it's with his with with his family, with his boys that were there also, and uh, and a guy like him. With what he's done in the game, and I, I know he's got a lot of critics. I know there's a lot of criticism about oh, the we're way. Oh, getting he, some flack on yeah, the absolutely, SMS absolutely. And there's people who can pick on all that, but if you weigh it all up, because obviously he stepped down from being a chairman, his his son's moved in to being the FFA chairman. Uh, and what he's done for the game in the last 10 to 12 years is amazing. And for me, that over, overrides everything, every critic that's out there uh, about the World Cup bid or how he's run the game or his relationship with the A-League owners or whatever it is. Yep. If you're being fair, you'd know that without him, we'd, we probably wouldn't have a National League right now. And probably the Australians, Australians wouldn't even be in Asia right now. As far as the AFC is concerned. Yep. The one thing that, that Bin Haman did do was, mm. was get us into Asia, uh, then stabbed us in the back for the World Cup. Well, even bit. with that, Kev, the, the, the whole entry into Asia, it, it was Bin Haman that, uh, that really uh, allowed that to happen because mm. Mm. there was a lot of opposition within Asia for Australia to come in because well, they were allowing a powerful nation to come in that would take a World Cup spot. So the relationship must have been strong for that to happen. Because uh, a lot of there was a lot of uh, pushback from the Middle Eastern countries, 
and of course uh, Bin uh, Hamans. Yeah, of yeah, course. Absolutely. And of course Bin Hamans a Qatari. So uh, the relationship had to have been a really strong, and that wasn't built on. I mean, that decision wasn't built on any any uh, sort of proposal or anything. It may have been on the surface built on some sort of proposal and what we'd give. The, it was all about a relationship between Lowy and Bin Haman, and that's why we go. Uh, uh, that's why we were allowed to go into Asia. And look what's happened since. Yep. No, that's been very good. But I think we're playing in a league. We're playing. A, we're certainly punching in a league that we weren't. We weren't ready for. Yeah. And I think if, if Frank Lowy's guilty of anything, it's it's guilty of being. Um, uh, naive, and, and maybe I'm not sure if they look back on it in time. Maybe he wasn't the person who should have fronted the bid. Maybe they but, should have but got. Kevin, you know, else. I, I I would argue that okay, people say that. I mean, John O'Neill came out last night and said that yeah. uh, we weren't ready for the bid. Yep. Who would be ready for that kind of bid in that sort of in climate? That sort of uh, you know that that. Um, uh, the way they the way they made decisions in those days, or basically, it wasn't based on any uh, uh, sort of you know, great proposal or well, anything like that. I think they said in that in that doco that our technical um, yeah. uh, presentation was near faultless. Uh, well, it would be as as the Americans would be, as yep. the, as the Japanese and the Koreans would. Be. I mean, all of them would have been faultless. Uh, Qatar didn't even have a technical. Uh, but I mean, in fact, they they they, they were at the bottom of, of ranking for every aspect of, of a bid. They, they played the race card. They played the religion and race card. Yeah, I think I think even beyond that, I think uh, it was uh, what oh, was yeah. happening behind the scenes and, and the yeah, card. and the money aspect was <laughs> yeah. was the strongest thing. And who would win in any? Whether it was John Howard, whether it was Frank Lowe, whoever fronted the bid in those circumstances was going to get the same result. Yep, mind you, did, didn't you? Uh, I actually sat back at one stage watching that and thought, this is this is just a joke. This is a circus. Mm. You got Bill Clinton. Yeah, you've got uh, the uh, Prince and uh, David Beckham yeah. uh, over in the corner. You've got El McPherson, yeah. for goodness' sake, <laughs> fronting our. Be- it was part of it, yeah. the front of the. Be- oh, it, no. it was a, it was a yeah. bloody stage play. It was poor. It yeah. was poor, and the video you can't forgive that. Oh. You can't forgive. Uh, you know, it was great to see Timmy there, Timmy Kale. Yeah, uh, but uh, but El McPherson is as beautiful as she is. I'm not sure whether she would have added too much to it, but uh, but really, we were completely out of our league once we got there, and uh, and I, I know a couple of the. Entourage of Frank Lowy Entourage said that last yeah. night that uh, when we got there and we saw, I mean, Bill Clinton publicly was scary behind closed doors. Could you imagine what the sort of deals they were doing, what what they were talking about with Bill Clinton? Yep. Uh, yep. And then Prince William, and uh, oh. you know, just we were completely out of our league in that respect. Rob wants to have a quick uh, chat about it from Strathmore. Good day, Rob. Yeah, good day, guys. Uh, two things that stood out for me with that. Um Documentary last night was I can't remember the names guy the name of the guy that came out and helped with the um, film clip with the kangaroo noise noise yeah he said, noise the director yeah he said he was so embarrassed um, that he felt like he let Frank down that he never came back to Australia for eighteen months and the other one was that Australia when Frank Lowy found out he only got one boat. He got two phone calls, one from Beckenbauer and one from Bladder. <laughs> and Bladder sat there and said, my children would never have forgiven me. I nearly blew the TV up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we got one vote and both of them claimed the vote, Frank. But, I mean, this, this is a type of environment they were working. I mean, Frank Lowy is not a naive person in business. He's been around the block a lot at the top, top level of business and government. 
right? Well, and the, he one, was one of his quotes was, "If I did everything yep. in my business life to what the government want, I wouldn't yep. be where I am today." Absolutely. So he, he knew he had to stretch things. Yeah. Uh, but for him to be totally blindsided, totally blindsided, people looked at him in the eye. People he trusted and he knew for years and years and years had strong relationships with, had proven themselves to him in in prior, like Bin Haman yep. with the AFC entry and all that sort of stuff. They'd proven themselves to him. And they looked at him in the eye and they lied to him. I don't know how you could over... I, I don't know how you can't excuse that. No, and I, I think this sums it up. We'll go to a break. Uh, but Davian Cranburn, better to be naive than corrupt. <laughs> I concur with that thought. Nine to two, Carlos Alberto Diego is in the studio. i uh, been asked off the SMS. Uh, the name of that documentary is Played. Uh, it was on the ABC last night at 8.30. I'm not sure if they are repeating it, but you can certainly yeah, pick you it get up it online, on the, yeah. online on the yep. ABC replay uh, online. Uh, Rennie's in Nariwara North. G'day, Rennie. Okay, how, how are you? Good, thank Good you. Uh, the, the part that got me was um, you're talking about the most pretty, prestigious trophy uh, the World Cup trophy, and they got Aussie Rules players to kick it around. Yeah. It, was a, it was a disaster. No, I yeah. agree with that, and that's why they were asked to take that bit out yeah. of, the, of the bit. Mind you, they could have edited another another 15 minutes out of it. I think it wouldn't have hurt. It was just awful. Well, it really, because, it, because it had been edited out, I'd never seen that before until Neither last I. night. No. And the way it was done, it was awful too. I mean, surely... I'm sure that there was a team of people... I'm really hoping there was a team of people looking at it before it went... You know, on public viewing to the you know uh, FIFA Exco to say, I don't know if that that'll work, guys. Uh, it, I mean, because I, I can't imagine a group of football people sitting around saying that that was appropriate. Could you imagine a group of uh, soccer players kicking the ashes in around? Oh uh, yeah, and, oh yeah. Well, let's let's get the ashes over here yeah. this year. It just showed a complete under- misunderstanding about what this is all about and yep. and, the, and the culture at FIFA at the time. Forget about the. The, 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 the corruption and all that sort of stuff, but just the culture of, of the importance of the World Cup. And you've got Aussie rule footballers. I think they, they weren't even wearing shirts. They were, they were shirtless, shirtless running shirt. around the MCG, kicking the, uh, you know, supposedly kicking the World Cup. Uh, yeah, just totally inappropriate. And, you know, you don't have to pay me a cent for me to say that to them. Yes. I'm sure a lot of those blakes were paid millions to do the their job. The $5 million consultants. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you've got, uh, you got Carlos and I for two bob here. Thanks, Reddy. Thanks for your call. Appreciate it. Hey, a big game coming up tomorrow night for... Um, Melbourne Victory, Victory, yeah. Boys. Weren't they fantastic on the weekend, Kev? I mean, this is a team that you're waiting to fall over because they've got a, a really, really cluttered schedule. They had the FFA Cup win, which is great. They put so much emotion into that. You think the game against Sydney, who are up for this game in Sydney, and you'd think, okay, well, uh, this is a danger game for victory, and it might really test the resources. Barbarossa you know, flew in on the morning of the game from his game from in the man uh, for New Zealand. And, uh, Valeri's in the stand. Yeah, Val- yeah, so many things were not right for the team, uh, but they ended up winning 4-2 away from home in brilliant fashion, even though Sydney had a, a lot of the second half, but in truth, victory never really, really were threatened. Uh, they defended really well on the counter-attack, just blistering. And uh, when Barbaroos came on, just changed the game too. Barisha, fantastic. This is a special team, this victory mm. team, a special, special team. Can they front up again? Uh, you know, uh, such a short turnaround for Thursday night. Central Coast Mariners, well, they're not the best defensive team in the world. Uh, I think victory should do the job on them. But you never know. I'm just waiting for them to have that downer. Uh, but uh, they've been fantastic the last couple of weeks, and I can't imagine them uh, going badly tomorrow night either. Keith Inkler's goal wasn't bad either. Yeah, no, fantastic goal. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what about Melbourne City? 
Oh yeah, well we had to go through two hours, <laughs> two hours of talk back last. Uh, when was it? Last Friday night? It wasn't. Yeah, last Friday night. Uh, and uh, you know, credit to the fans, the city fans. I mean, there were they're diehard. They were, yeah, they, yeah they, a lot of them. They, they, they're so disappointed, but they still, uh, well, the core of them are fronting up, and the core of them still care. Yep. Right, John Van Skip, uh, watching his press conference. Uh, you know, during the week, I'm thinking, you know, the pain that that guy's going through. I know you're waving there, Kev, but uh, I'm not going to call for anyone sacking. Uh, but look, I, I wouldn't call for anyone the, sacking either. But yeah, I think it might happen. Yeah, they're they're um, they've been in this situation so many times before, and they'll they'll come out and win. You know, they have got Brisbane this week. They'll probably come out and win, and they'll play really well. Uh, but it's that consistency. You can never trust the team. No, and that's the problem uh, the fans have got. 